Welcome back to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Shauna David and this is our weekly look at the women's game all the way from the Champions League all the way down to the National League. We're coming up in this week's pod, Chelsea give Man City the blues, Man United earn their spurs with yet another win, goals galore once again for the Gunners as they hit five past the Seagulls, Everton continue their fine form as they hammer the hammers, in the championship, the game of the day sees Leicester beat Liverpool as Durham hit the heights against Palace, but Sheffield United are hot on the heels. And we will have a full roundup of the National League results, plus interviews with Bristol City's Georgia Wilson, Coventry United manager Jay Bradford, Helen Ward of Watford and Hope Nash of Crawley Wasp. We've got a busy episode for you this week a lot to get through and joining me this week to look back on all of the action is our regular guest former Aston Villa and FA Media Officer Emily Lyles and back once again this week is freelance journalist Andrew Raven good to have you both with us good to be here Shana. thank you very much well, the game of the day in the WSL was undoubtedly Chelsea taking on Manchester City, a repeat of the Community Shield a month ago. And just like that day, Chelsea came out on top. Chelsea went ahead through a controversial penalty uh, after Ellen White was penalised for handball, even though the ball struck Demi Stokes. Well, Emily, I'll start off with you. Even though Chelsea dominated the second half with goals from Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby. That penalty, it really changed the momentum of the game, didn't it? No, it certainly did. And I think you often see that with decisions. You get a key decision like that at that kind of point, And it does change the complexity of the game. Although I have to say, I thought Chelsea were outstanding on the day. Erin Cuthbert, Frank Kirby, just on absolute red-hot form. And you look at this game, and I know it's been said a lot, but... The fans should be in, shouldn't they, to witness that kind of game? You see it and you just think it's it's a huge fixture, thoroughly entertaining. Um, and obviously it's a real shame that supporters can't be in at the moment. But Chelsea have made an absolutely brilliant effort making King's Meadow, you know, as blue as it can be, shall we say, in terms of the branding and giving them that home advantage. So, yes, going back to your original question, Sean Ed, yes, very, very unfortunate decision, but I think probably overall, a fair reflection of the game over the 90 minutes. Hmm. Andrew, it's a crushing defeat for Man City. You know, they're five points off top now in fifth. Can they recover? Is it just, you know, a slow start to the season, do you think they're having? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say five points off top after four games and you think, well, they've, uh, you know, that's obviously quite a gap that's been created already and they're, they're fifth in the table but of course that's their, also their first defeat which does uh, in, in those first four games so it does um, show how well the, the, the top four have started you know none of the top four have, have, have lost yet you've obviously got two teams with 100% records in Arsenal and uh, and Everton um, Manchester City are a, a world-class team uh, world-class operators um, they've got plenty um, in the tank to bounce back. Uh, Chelsea do obviously have a little bit of uh, a hold over them with um, recent results between the two sides. Again, as Emily says, I think Chelsea will be strong at home. Uh, I think Manchester City will put in their best performances um, at the Academy Stadium. So I think I, I think for City, it's one they're going to have to take on the chin. But there's plenty from City to come. Um, you know they've just got a world class squad, so um, they will they will expect to, to to bounce back. Yeah, it shows how competitive the league is at the moment. You know, 
one loss, one slip up, and um, you can very easily fall behind. Um, the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday um, saw their Manchester rivals go top with a win at Tottenham, thanks to Millie Turner. Um, United, Emily, again, I'll come to you. You know, they're, um, they're going about their business well, aren't they? They were top for 24 hours. I suppose they'll be delighted with the start that they've had. No, they will do. And I think although a lot of people expected them to do well, given the players that they've signed, the way that they've gelled and the way they've started the season and the fact that it's, of course, only their second season at this level is really, really impressive. In that game, I think they showed different attributes because I know they've showed their sort of attacking prowess in previous games. But with that, that they they were very patient. They had to dig in a little bit. The Spurs keeper, Becky Spencer, made some unbelievable saves before she was eventually undone. And yeah, I think just a really, really good performance from United. Casey Stoney's got them organised and, and obviously with that flair combined. And can I just say, Tobin Heath, 77 shirt, disgust. What an incredible... Uh... <laughs> I was just, just going to ask you guys about the um, the shirt story because it was great to see Tobin Heath and Kristen Press that they'd sold more shirts than any male Manchester United player that, well, it must be the first time that that's ever um, happened at a football club, you know, definitely um, in this country. It gives a real boost to the women's game, doesn't it, that more people want their shirts compared to Pogba or Rashford um Andrew I'll come to you you know it's I th- personally did not see that coming at all but it's amazing to see well yeah uh, I, I was gonna say perhaps you know not this soon but I suppose there's always that little bounce isn't there when when new players come in you're more likely to get their uh, their names when they're when they're freshly signed than uh, if they've gone through a, a poor run of form maybe but um I think yeah look it's absolutely fantastic and uh, there'll be uh, lots of uh, kids, no doubt, uh, contributing to that. And so, uh, you know, lots of uh, shirts around the Manchester area at the Trafford Centre, maybe with, uh, uh, yeah, with Heath and Press on the back. And that would be that would be great. You know, and I think it's important. I mean, only a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we were discussing whether Manchester United's absence from the women's game full stop was a sort of a, a blot on their copybook as a football club. Well, they've certainly looked to redress that balance, haven't they? And they're, they're now... Um, you know, quite uh, sort of progressive thinking with it and uh, uh, helped, of course, by the, 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 the franchising system, which allowed them to go straight in at tier two. But they are now starting to, to flex their muscles. They're doing things, um, you know, uh, the right way. And yeah, we talked earlier, didn't we, in a, in a previous pod about the impact of uh, foreign arrivals on the WSL. And we looked at it from a, a strictly a, a playing point of view. So, you know, we had a couple of players on the pod arguing about whether that would impact on the playing time and the minutes of, of English qualified players, for example. What we didn't really necessarily touch on a great deal, I think it was mentioned, but would be the commercial aspect. And I think certainly... That story, we're talking about it. It was, a, you know, it's a, it's created a bit of an extra buzz around Manchester United, but around those two players in particular. Um, and obviously, conversely, we've been looking at the Alex Morgan situation and saying, well, you know, what are Spurs at the moment getting out of it? Apart from the odd mention, the fact that she still isn't playing, you know, and I think that's, you know, that's, you know, there was a bit of a buzz when Morgan signed. Manchester United, though, are capitalising more with the performance of the two players concerned and, of course, this this additional story, the commercial element to it. Emily, you'd probably agree, really. One thing that 
you know, I guess the men's games don't have to worry about is the commercial side of things because that will always be there. You know, the men's Manchester United team will always have that, um, you know, the commercial impact. They'll always have the money coming in from there. But from the women's game point of view, I think people forget actually just how powerful this kind of thing can be. No, 100%. And I think that's something that Tobin Heath, that's a point that she made quite strongly in her arrival interview, if you like, um, with the media and with the Manchester United channels in that, you know, a big draw of coming here was the fact that over in America, certainly people of her generation, Man United are the team people follow from certainly from the men's point of view and how it's a dream to represent them. So yes, 100%. And I think also, it also shows just how big the USA are as a national team, as a women's national team. And and those players are huge, huge players individually. And I know for a very, very long time that women's soccer, as they call it over there, has, has been bigger than the men's game in, in some quarters. And I think it's interesting that seeing them come over here, it could only it can only benefit, I think, our game long term, even if it is to a large degree due to the commerciality aspect. Mm. We'll um, touch quickly on Spurs. Are we surprised at their form? Are we, you know, are we surprised how they've started the season? Surprised? That's a really good question, Sean Ed. I mean, I think they're probably one of those teams that, okay, they've signed Alex Morgan, but people probably weren't sure how they do just in terms of it's such a competitive league. It is difficult to call. I know we'll probably touch on Everton at some point during the podcast, but Everton have started really well and they're perhaps probably the surprise package so far. But I think, you know, they've they've shown in some of their performances, even at the weekend, that they've they have got quality. Um, they are resilient. And I think, you know, it is still early days and and fingers crossed from their point of view that they can start to, to get some of those results that perhaps reflect their performances. But it it is, it's a really, really difficult division. And I think, you know, while we speak a lot about the teams at the top and that are flying, you do realise the quality really across the board. We'll move on to the Gunners. So Arsenal continue their 100% um, form with another thumping win, this time just the five goals um, at Brighton. Uh, two goals from Vivian Miedema. Her double um, took her to 49 career um, women's Super League goals, which is a fantastic achievement. That takes her level with the all-time record holder, Nikita Paris. Um, Andrew, Arsenal, look, they look good this season, don't they? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they look good every season. I mean, Miedema's astonishing, obviously. She's, uh, you know, her goal scoring is so consistent. Um, and as you sort of uh, put it, Sean Ed, yeah, just justify for uh, for Arsenal uh, this time round. I mean, what is twenty three goals in in the first four games, um, three conceded, um, which is uh, more than Everton and Chelsea. But uh, yeah, twenty three goals. Um, when you look at the rest of the league table, Everton and Chelsea and the next top scorers with fourteen. So you can just see the power of their attack. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 very difficult to to stop when they're uh, when they're on form. I think there will be bigger tests for them to to, to come in the in the league. I mean, they've got um, they've got Tottenham uh, coming up uh, at the weekend. Although we obviously saw how they did against them in the uh, FA Cup quarter final. They had to be patient before they could break them down, but they did so in the end. Um, then away to Manchester United and home to Chelsea uh, in uh, after the uh, international break. So I think I think Arsenal are looking extremely strong, 
Um, it'll just be about, as I say, what happens when they come up against perhaps a, a savvier attack, because of course we saw um, Manchester City uh, knock them out of the FA Cup. Uh, and so, you know, testing out that defence um, and also just seeing what happens when they come up against a, a side who perhaps defend a little bit better. Emily, Andrew just touched there, you know, 23 goals scored by Arsenal so far. What I really like about them is they've got they've got goals coming from everywhere in that team, and I think that's that's potentially going to be worryingly for worrying for everyone else in the league because they don't just have that one goal scorer. You know, it's they're not going to be like perhaps Spurs when she's fit. You know, they're going to rely on Alex Morgan. She's going to be you know that person that they look for um, that they look towards for goals. I think you know Arsenal. It feels like everyone in that team could score a goal at any moment. Exactly, Sean Ed. And I think you only have to look at the fact that Lottie Wilbermoy, one of the young players, the young right back, was also on the score sheet at the weekend. And it just shows really that that tremendous strength in depth that they've got. Um, I think they're one of those teams that they've got more than an 11, as you alluded to there, that they can mix it up a little bit. When you know they get further into the season, they'll be able to rest players, mix the squad. And, and you'd imagine that their performances won't be massively impacted. So yeah, it's it's really good there. And as Andrew said, they've been very strong for a long time. But this season in particular, they've, they've started like an absolute house on fire. Mm. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Arsenal. So I do I do hope they do well. I just hope none of the Swans fans listen to this. <laughs> but um... what, I, what I like about Arsenal as well is they've obviously got that great uh, consistency of um, well, that great grounding, I suppose, under Joe Montemuro. Um, and I think what he brings is, you know, a certain style of play and a certain methodology and a certain confidence that the players all take into those games. Um, yes, obviously, Chelsea have had Emma Hayes for a long time. Um, Manchester City have obviously had a, a change of manager quite recently. Um, but I do think Joe Montemuro is the grounding if you like, in that Arsenal side. They've obviously got some players who have been there uh, quite a long time too. They all know each other's games very well. They've, there's all a, there's a, you know, five, six, seven players who are consistent selections, even when they are looking to rotate. And I think for Arsenal, that is where the benefit comes. In Manchester City, they've probably got two fantastic operators for each position. Um, whether you could necessarily say that about Arsenal, yes, they've got some absolutely fantastic players, but I do think that it's the, it's, it is the, connection between the players on the pitch that I think is really where the the attack clicks into gear mm. oh that's a really really good point um we'll move on to Everton um West Ham Everton remains second another win for them this time against um, a struggling West Ham side a double from substitute Lucy Graham kept Everton flying um that's the Hammers um, a third defeat in four games. Emily, again, you know, they're showing that they are strong this season. You know, it was one all for a long time in, and in a game last season that they probably wouldn't have been able to go on and win that, would they? No, definitely. And I think we are getting to that point now where at first it was like, OK, they've started well. But I think if this carries on for a few games, it's it's beyond being a surprise package. They're sort of fully in the mix, really, just given the length of the season, how the season tends to pan out. And, and you know, I'm really, really pleased for them because I think they're the sort of club that they're one of the traditional clubs. Um, they go about their business in the right way. They've got a really, really strong head coach in Willie Kerr. 
And I, I read a stat yesterday where it's the first time they've won four consecutive WSL games since August 2011, which I just thought was remarkable considering, you know, that they've kind of been in the upper echelons for a while. But yeah, they're, they're in a really, really good place at the moment. And I think it's good to see because ultimately it will make the league more competitive, um, which is what, what we want. Mm. We had um, a tweet from Adam Bateman. Um, He replied to um, our pod last week and he said, um, five into the three Champions League places simply does not go. So two very good sides will be missing out this season, never mind winning the league. I really can't predict it at this very early stage. Um, Andrew, it's an interesting point, isn't it? And one that we have covered before that, you can't really see anyone sort of pulling away this season because it, it is just so competitive at the top there. Yeah, well, as we mentioned at the very top of the pod, you know, with Manchester City already uh, having that gap to the to the top side, you'd imagine that that would close up. You're then looking at, you know, as, as was mentioned by Adam there, a, a top five, um, possibly forming a bit of a breakaway there. Um, but Everton are... Um, you know, sort of gate crashing the party in that regard, and that if they do make it into those top three spots, then of course it is going to uh, it is going to force someone out of the reckoning. Um, I completely agree with Emily. We discussed Everton last week, and you know, I said, well, obviously, I think the question was put that it was perhaps as the fixture list being kind to them, and I made the point where you still need to win those games, and they've been winning them well. They've kept um, you know not conceded too many goals, um, and I said there'll be plenty of games that they'll still think they can win before they take on, uh, you know, the the, the very biggest uh, of the teams, if you like. So, I mean, as was said, they they found a way to win against West Ham. Um, you know, they've got Brighton at home next, so they would fancy themselves in that one, although Brighton are no mugs, of course. Um, and then they're away at Chelsea as their next uh, uh, WSL encounter after that. But even if they were to slip up at Chelsea, you know, they place they face Reading after that. So we could be well into December and Everton will still be uh, will still be in, you know, up there, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will start to make other teams a little bit nervous. You, do you agree what Adam has said in terms of, you know, you it's it's so hard to predict right now? No, it is. And I think one of the biggest fears with the WSL for a long time has been that you are going to get a sort of top two or three that break away from everyone else. And then it's sort of the best of the rest, but certainly so far we're not seeing that at all really. And and I think it's really, really exciting. It's what the game needs. We speak a lot about growing the game and, and earning and gaining more interest. And the only way to do that, I think is to, is to have a competitive division um, across the board. And yeah, I mean, the start has certainly supported that and, and bodes well, really. Mm. I, I think I've said this a couple of times, but I don't know what's in the water in Everton this season because the men's and the women's team have just had the perfect start. Um, well, Adam, thanks um, for your tweet. And don't forget that you can keep in touch with us via social media. We're on Twitter at TWFP1. So please send us your tweets, any questions, anything that you'd want us to discuss on the pod, send them our way. Um, finally, moving on then, the other game in the WSL, so Birmingham, so Birmingham pick up their first points of the season as they stunned Reading. Claudia Walker bagged the winner, um, albeit, against, um, albeit against the run of play to move the Blues up to 
8th. Um, Bristol City, they didn't play this weekend as their game against Aston Villa was postponed. And earlier in the week, Emily caught up with the Robins, Georgia Wilson. So Georgia, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Appreciate you've had a whirlwind year in terms of making your breakthrough, etc. But can you just tell us a little bit about your career to date? Because I know you started at SGS in Filton, which is a really prestigious sporting organisation. But can you just talk us through your career so far? Yeah, so I've just grown up playing with boys basically all my life. And then obviously when I left secondary school at 16, I had to go to like an academy. So I had to go play with girls. And like Bristol City's, I heard a lot about it. I heard it was good. A lot of people suggested it. So I went there for a trial to the academy. And it's not that far from where I live because I live in Devon. So it's like an hour and a half. So it meant I wasn't living too far from home. Um, So yeah, I went for a trial, like met the girls, they're all lovely. And yeah, just went from there. I played there for two years in the development. Well, my second year, that's when I broke into the first year. So yeah. Because it's a really cool setup down there, isn't it? I know every time yeah. I've been there, it's sort of you just get that. It just it's just got sport every everywhere you walk. There's different, yeah. but it's got a really positive atmosphere. Yeah, because I I did college there, so I was in college and then I trained. So it was literally just all about sports. Because I took B Tech Sport, so I was just just always in my kit, just going college and then going straight to training. It was it was really good. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And when you were at Bristol, were there any, oh, sorry, when you were at Bristol as a youth player, were there any of the senior players that in particular that you looked up to or you used to go for, for any extra support and guidance? I mean, I didn't really, we didn't really have that much contact with them at first, but I always looked up to Loz, to, who's now the assistant coach, because she was the captain at the time. Um, but she's retired now and she's now assistant coach. So yeah, I looked up to her because she'd been there for years. And then Carla, who was in my position, Carla Humphrey, she was centre mid and I always thought I wanted to play alongside her, which I actually eventually did. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that that is really, really cool. And I guess I appreciate you're still only very, very young, but the yeah. way that the game has, uh, has grown in recent years, have you noticed a, a huge growth in the division, even, say, in the last two or three years or so? Yeah, definitely. I mean a lot more players started coming even um, so a lot more fans started coming to the games like nearer to the end of the season which is obviously gotten because now fans can't come so it's it's annoying because it was growing but I think it'll, it'll get a lot bigger. No 100% and just going back to the point that you made before about only playing boys did you at any point find that difficult um, did you ever feel Discriminate is probably a strong word, but did you ever feel left out or, or is it something that you just adapted to because because you had to? I was playing with boys since I was seven and it was the same group of boys. So like they were just all my friends. They sort of treated me like one of the lads, I guess. You know what I mean? So I went to school with them and like, I was only the girl. I was the only girl in my league. So I think everyone knew I was the girl that played football. So I know I never really felt left out or anything. I just I just loved it. I was sort of, I'm sad. I was sad leaving them. Do you know what I mean? I bet you were known, weren't you? You were known as yeah. like the Georgia that everyone, everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's really really cool. And just just thinking about um, your career so far with Bristol. So I know Tanya Oxterby's obviously had a massive massive impact on your career in charge as you made your breakthrough. How important has she been in your development? 
she showed a lot of faith in me when I was only 17. She started me like the second game of season um, against Everton. That was my debut and I played the whole 90 minutes. So, yeah, it was a big step and she's helped me along the whole way. And speaking of Everton, we hear that you are a big Toffees fan yourself. How, how did that feel yeah. against against them? Yeah, it was it was amazing. I couldn't have wanted to beat like that. Was the best debut game I could have played in. Um, all my family, Toffees, everyone, Everton. That's all it is. <laughs> so yeah. And you must be pretty pleased with how the men's team are doing at the moment as well. <laughs> yeah, they're doing so good. I mean. I don't want to speak too soon, but it's looking good, isn't it? <laughs> it's looking very, very good. Yeah. Um, now, now just, just back to you, Georgia. So I'm aware you had your ankle injury um, yeah. or at the turn of the year. How was rehabbing and I guess subsequently training during that lockdown period for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, so I got injured in January, so I was out for the rest of the season, but then lockdown came. I think it almost, I know like it sounds weird, but it slowed it down for me. So I was able to get time to recover and like do all my rehab. And yeah, I like, I just distracted myself through the whole of lockdown. I didn't struggle that much with it because all I was focusing was on was getting back fit and get my ankles sorted. So I think it almost helped me really. So, yeah. No, absolutely. And just thinking about the start of the season, we've obviously seen an influx of players a number yeah. of obviously top USA internationals come into the division. You know, what have you have you made of that? I I think it's great. I I couldn't believe it when I heard about Alex Morgan signing. I like I can't wait to watch her and even hopefully play against her. It's it's amazing. It's really good for the league. I think it's going to be one of the best leagues in the world. It, it's it is it's absolutely remarkable, and I think you're right. It's interesting that it's more. At, Again, it, it shows how much the league's grown, but it's it's yeah. more, of course, the circumstance that we, we find ourselves in that actually, in terms of the English league, it's 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 a huge, yeah. huge coup for people. Yeah, definitely. And just thinking in, in a broader sense for you, I know you've been involved in the England pathway um, during yeah. your younger years. Which um, which coaches did you work under then when you were in the pathway, Georgia? Um, I worked under John and Gemma, but... It was yeah. it was a bit mixed because I was in and out, so it was different coaches, different times. Um, but yeah, it was it was really good experience. I think at the time I wasn't really ready for it. I was quite young, and I was I'd only just started playing with the girls itself. So I was I don't know. I think it was one of those when I just needed time to develop as a player. Like I'm glad I've had time to focus on first team football now, and then hopefully, like in the coming years, I can go back into it. That's what I'm hoping for. But yeah, well. <laughs> Hundred percent, because I think more and more now you look at the lionesses and you are seeing that pathway, aren't you? And it isn't yeah, necessarily. It's not always everyone that's come through all the age groups or being involved in age groups. Some have, some haven't, and it is really, really refreshing. It seems more and yeah. more there's those opportunities, which is which is positive for any young player, I guess. Yeah, definitely. What would you say your? I know, I know it's difficult because you've only just come back from an injury, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah. But what would you say your aims are for, let's say? the rest of the season and possibly beyond? Um, so for the rest of the season, I just want to get as many appearances as I can in the league. I want to play as many games as I can and just improve in training, develop and just, yeah, become the best player I can. And then in the future, I all I really want is just to play at the highest standard I can. And then, yeah, hopefully one day I can play for my country. But yeah, we'll soon see. 
Great stuff from Emily and great to hear from Georgia there as well. And coming up next on the pod, we'll be taking a look at all the action from the championship. Making small changes to your lifestyle could improve your chances of staying healthier longer. Start now by taking our free How Are You quiz. Just search One You. Well, in the championship, it's just as tight as in the Women's Super League. The big match in the division saw Leicester host Liverpool and they came out on top. Goals from Paige Bailey-Grace and Lashante Paul gave the Foxes a 2-1 win. Bailey-Grace said afterwards that the dressing room was absolutely buzzing. And Andrew, of course, that's completely understandable, isn't it? Absolutely. you know, And I think it's an important uh, victory for Leicester. I think... We know we we touched on it before, haven't we? That that Liverpool's entry into the Championship would, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they would get on because obviously they had such a wretched season in the WSL last season. But you do wonder whether just the sight of those red shirts would make some teams lift their games a little bit, um, and particularly with the start that Liverpool had made. Um, Leicester, yeah, I mean, a lot of talk has uh, been around them with. Um, you know, going full time and the, um, you know, the involvement of uh, 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 of Leicester people within the club. Um, and then, you know, you had that, uh, you know, they had a good draw with uh, with Durham, who had made a good start. Um, they'd drawn with Sheffield United as well, a team who had uh, done well last season. Um, both those teams, Durham and Sheffield United, well up there, of course. Um, and this is another example, I think, that Leicester will be very difficult opponents, you know, for anybody, really. They've proven themselves against some of the top sides. Obviously, the couple of draws mean that they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're still three points off Durham, although that is with a game in hand. Um, so, again, I mean, the championship is just fascinating, and it always is. Um, Durham, yeah, there's, there's a few games in hand for teams, but, you know, Durham have made a, a very good start, as they, you know, they, they tend to do. Sheffield United, 13 goals in four games. Um, Liverpool and Leicester, you know, it's it's going to be those four probably. Um, Leicester are going to be maybe the Everton and to try and sort of upset the apple cart a little bit. It was, um, Emily, do you think it was a sense that Liverpool were perhaps brought back down to earth a little bit after that cup win against Man United in midweek? Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think, you know, a lot of people a lot of people do talk about the competitive nature of the championship and we probably have seen that. I know obviously Liverpool, after the, their draw against Durham to start with, have fared very, very well. But, you know, it is a competitive division. I know a number of the games that they've played have been competitive as well over the 90 minutes. So yeah, I think I think it's something that it's good for the league. It's good um it's obviously a very, very good result for Leicester and then opens it all up again, which is absolutely fantastic. And again, that's what, what we need. We've touched on Durham. They went um, top. They won 2-0 at home to Crystal Palace. Beth Heppel, now she's got her 10th goal of the season. Now she's already matched last season's tally. Emily and Andrew, do you think WSL clubs will be, you know, keeping an eye on her and perhaps... Uh, seeing if she'll be playing in the WSL next season? Well, I, you know, I absolutely love Beth Heppel. I think she's a fantastic player. She's got a, a you know, cracking uh, goal-scoring uh, record this season. Um, you know, she's, she, you know, she's just a, a, a dynamo, you know, just, just, just bursting forward um, all the time. And, you know, when you've got goals in you, 
um, then you're going to, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a midfield player, you're going to an attacking player, you're going to attract attention, of course you are. Um, what's interesting with Durham, of course, um, is that they, you know, they are in an area where they are the, 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 the top club in the region, if you like. Um, so they tend to, you know, they say that Beth will, uh, will be happy to go elsewhere if Manchester City or uh, Chelsea came in for her. But, um, you know, they do have that draw where they can obviously attract players from around that region. Um, and, you know, they have a real uniqueness to that setup there especially with of course uh, links to the university and everything else so um you know uh, i think beth will probably be happy to, to to stick around and hopefully try and fire herself into the wsl with durham next season but if uh, if other clubs come calling who knows emily do you think um i guess if beth keeps on doing what she's doing then you know there's no doubt that some of the uh, the bigger clubs will be um sort of keeping an eye on her Oh, definitely. But I, I totally agree with what Andrew's saying there around the setup that Durham have got. I think there's that strong university link. They're obviously the main club of the Northeast um, in terms of women's football nowadays. But actually, they've got a real identity as well. So when you go there, it's a team that in the main or, or certainly a squad that's been together for a long time. And people and players enjoy playing for them and being associated with them. And, and I don't think you can underestimate that, really. And it, as you say, if she carries on the way she is, I'm sure people will come calling and we'll start to make some inquiries. But it may well be that that, she, that in her eyes, what she wants to do is achieve that promotion with Durham and, and, and achieve a special, you know, that kind of achievement that way. Well, Emily, you've been really busy this week and you caught up with Coventry United's man manager, Jay Bradford, on Friday ahead of their game against Sheffield United. And this is what Jay Bradford had to say. First of all, Jay, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Can you just give, for anyone that isn't aware, a bit of an insight into how much now has to go into a training session and a match day from a COVID safety point of view? Yeah, so our typical training night now players arrive their temperature is taken they then queue up they get covid tested they're all in masks we then go into our analysis room we sit social distance you know we, we do our analysis and it's very much people hand sanitizing on the way in on the way out um you know making sure that just really simple things like they're not picking up each other's coats and picking up each other's bags and water bottles and just making sure that everything they bring remains with them. And then, yeah, we head out onto the pitch. And again, it's very much when we're having a drink, when we're having chats, it's, are we socially distanced? Are we, are we being careful enough around each other? And then making sure that when we're on the pitch, that we're happy to compete and be in each other's spaces. And then as soon as we stop, then we can go back to masks and hand sanitizing. So it's, it's a difficult balancing act of, making the players aware enough they have to socially distance, they have to sanitise and they have to have masks on, but not to scare them that when they go onto the pitch that they can't be in each other's space because that, again, would be detrimental to performance. So it's it's just a constant balancing act of yeah, making people feel safe and comfortable to, to compete. No, that's that's brilliant. And now on to the football side. So we've obviously a few weeks into the season and you've had a few games. I know you started off with that great win against London Bees. Then you had a bit of a gap between your next fixture. Could you just summarise it, the, the start of the season from your own point of view, please? 
Yeah, so, so the London BZM, obviously, we, we had, from the point of the fixtures being released, I think we probably had four weeks of prep for that specific game and that specific opposition. But it's difficult because everyone signs players, everyone loses players, you know, they might change staff, they they might have played a certain formation last year, but that might change and you just don't really know. So you're trying to do as much research as you can on the opposition without getting lost down a rabbit hole that's no good to you. So, yeah, we had about four weeks of prep and it was, I felt really confident going into that game that we were in a good place for us and we did a lot of work on what we want to look like and not how do we adapt to the opposition, which I think we were probably guilty of last year. So, yeah, I mean, to, you know, to to, op- to go and open the season with a win and three great goals and at home as well, I think was important. And actually, you know, I think people would have looked at that London Bees team and gone, Cobb United don't stand a chance here. You know, London Bees are going to pick up where they left off last year. And and that, that wasn't the case. You know, yes, they had their moments and they could have caused us more problems than they did. But, you know, we stuck to our game plan. We were rigid and and I was I was really pleased with the outcome of that game. And then, unfortunately, we had two weeks off. And I think that that did more damage to us than anything else. I think if we'd have just rolled into the next fixture, I think we'd have been on such a high that we could have, momentum would have just carried us through. But we didn't. We had we had a week off because we were the odd team in the league and then it was international break. And then we had our first really long trip to Lewis, which I think we you can't prepare for that. You can't prepare for being sat on a coach for that amount of time, getting to the other end, trying to get moving and, you know, trying to motivate yourself to get yourself moving. I think it's really difficult. So I think, you know, I've, I've been open about our performance against Lewis. It was, it was poor. It was just not, not what I expect from my team. It's not how I set my teams up. So I was really disappointed with that sort of as a collective. And I think the players were as well and they took full responsibility and, you know, the staff went away and looked at the impact we'd had. Did we do enough? So, yeah, I think that was a learning curve for us. And then, We've, we've come into a really tough fixture period now. You know, we played Liverpool, played Durham on Wednesday away, which was that journey. I mean, that journey on a Sunday over a weekend is tough, but doing it midweek is much more difficult. And then we go into Sheffield on Sunday. So we're, we're, in a, we're in a space where we're just trying to find a consistent form, I think, which is, which is okay because it's early and I'm happy with where we're at, you know, I think people would look at the Durham result and say we got battered. But if I think if you see the game and you watch it, and I think if you know the insight that I know and what I asked for, I'm actually really pleased with Wednesday. I think particularly, like I say, when you take into account the fact that it is a Wednesday night, the fact that we couldn't take a full squad because of work, the fact that we played almost over 10 minutes with 10 men because I've made all my subs and my centre-back gets injured, I think. I'm, I'm pleased with where we're at and I think we're, we're own, we're, we can only go forward from here and I'm comfortable that I think we'll we'll pick up more points along the way and, and hopefully surpass last year's points target. No, that's brilliant because a lot of people talk about how competitive the championship is and was before and I think we are seeing that already this season. There are, you know, there have been some close games, there have been some competitive games. Um, is that, are, are those sentiments something that you would echo as someone that knows the league very, very well? yeah I think you used to be able to look at the championship and go right this will be the top three this will be the bottom three and then you'll have that little mix in the middle of mid-table teams whereas now I think anybody can go 
home or away and pick up points and, and upset teams. And I think, you know, I think people thought Liverpool were going to come in and almost just waltz around and dominate everybody. And that hasn't been the case. You know, they had a real tough time against Durham and that was only a draw. You know, we were unfortunate, I think, not to get anything out of that game. So they're, yes, they're a quality side, but I think they've been surprised by the qualities also in the league. So I think it's only going to get better. And I think that's really important for football that it isn't the same top three teams, the same bottom three teams. I think it's important that we, that that middle group strive to become the top group and the bottom group strive to become the middle group. I think that's that's so important for the sport. Emily, it wasn't the result that she wanted in the end, as you know, Sheffield United ran out 2-0 winners. No, 100% Sean Ed. And I, and I think speaking to her last week, we had a really good um, in-depth chat really about a whole, a whole host of matters and, and the club in general and her vision, if you like. And, and you know, just speaking to someone, it was, it was really refreshing just to chat to her and just talk about the, the game generally, really. I mean, she, she's obviously very, very motivated. She's very real in terms of her expectations and where they're at as a club at the moment. And it was just a really refreshing conversation. And again, she seemed pretty confident from my conversation with her that long term, they'll be OK. They'll get to where they need to be. And yeah, you know, all in all, I know it was disappointment and they've had a few disappointing results recently. Um, but yeah, still early days, isn't it? It was a blow for London City this week as Lisa Fallon, she left the club um, for personal reasons. Um, the club, they're currently second from bottom. Um, her assistant, Melissa Phillips, took charge for the game against bottom club London Bees um, in a derby and, you know, prevailed by two goals to one. Andrew, what were your thoughts on the game and, and the situation in general? Well, yeah, obviously, um, shame for, for, for Lisa Fallon on a, on a personal level. Um, she was uh, travelling between uh, Dublin and London. Obviously, there's lots of issues around that with uh, travel at the moment. And, um, yeah, she's just found it a little bit too too difficult. Um, and it's, uh, it's a shame for London City Lionesses as well, because Lisa Fallon is a fantastic coach. She was... Uh, worked at Cork City's with Cork City's men's side and she was coaching at Chelsea before uh, um, uh, London City Lionesses came calling um, so uh, yeah and then he got uh, in charge uh, Melissa Phillips her assistant and masterminded a 2-1 win over London Bees I think London Bees are going to struggle this season it has to be said but uh, um, I think I mentioned last week that whoever lost that uh, game would uh, would start to worry but whoever won it would get a little bit of a a, a little bit of a boost and certainly when you look at the table London City Lionesses uh, who uh, were sort of one of the best of the rest if you like in the championship last season um, will start to target teams above them Charlton and Palace next to try and climb above those uh, as they look to try and get back into the top half of the table which is really with their ambitions what they uh, they want to be doing um, I think uh, Melissa Phillips will be the fifth person to uh, um, to sort of oversee first team affairs uh, since London City Lionesses were formed uh, in the summer of 2019. So um, there's been plenty of changes in the, the management office there for, for all for different reasons. Um, so it's been difficult for the playing staff there to uh, to sort of get you settled into one person's style of play. But we'll have to see what Melissa does. And she is obviously, um, well, she's one for one so far. So uh, it's not a bad start, is it? 
certainly isn't. Well, as per usual, a lot to talk about in the championship. And I'm moving on to the FA Women's National League. And Andrew, you were at one of the, the league's big games of the weekend. Indeed I was, yeah. Um, Crawley Wasps and Watford uh, were first and second in National League South when last season was uh, voided. This season, Watford had started with four wins out of four, while Wasps stuttered slightly with two wins and two defeats. So there was considerable interest in this one. 198 fans in at Hawley Town's new defence ground. Uh, and while Watford had large spells of possession at times, they found Wasps' defence a tough nut to crack. There were few chances really in the game until Naomi Cole's free kick for Crawley on 70 minutes, which beat Sophie Harris in the Watford goal. Wasps then held out for the win, which ended Watford's 100% start. Afterwards, I caught up with one of the excellent Crawley back four, the fullback Hope Nash. But first, here's Watford skipper Helen Ward. And I started by asking her for her summary of the game. Scrappy, I think um, both teams found it difficult to play on this, this surface, very bobbly. Um, and you know, for us, we can't speak for Crawley, but for us, we like to get the ball down. And it was difficult to do that at times today. But yeah, disappointing result. But we're not going to let it get us down, and, and we'll go again next week. You've made such a good start, though. Um, talk us through the first few games. Uh, how have you made that start? What's been the key to that? Yeah, just we, we've put together a good squad over the summer, and we kept the majority of the players from last season. Obviously, we had a good season last season before. Um, coronavirus came along but um, yeah just a good work ethic, uh, work ethic sorry we're, we're together as a group and um, yeah just just good quality getting us through the, the first four games and as I said it didn't happen today but in general we've, we've been quite pleased with how we started the season. And you've got a, a, a devastating attack on paper haven't you? What's it been like to be playing amongst those players? Yeah it's great you know obviously we've not found the back of the net today but we've got goals from right across the front line but looking into midfield and, and also set pieces our, our back line get up and, and cause a problem as well so we've made a, a conscious effort to, to not just limit goals to one or two players but you know we've got three or four players now already on three four goals for the season so um, we're pleased with that we all look to, to link up together as a, a front three whoever's in that front three we've got quite a good relationship and you know adding Sarah to the mix this season has been brilliant and you know it's the first time she's not scored today uh, but she started on fire so it's, it's a pleasure to play alongside her. Yeah of course referring there to Sarah Wiltshire and uh, Yeovil next up um, it's a run of fixtures, isn't it, that, that you probably would have looked at at the, at the start of the season and gone, that's a little tricky period. Yeah, I mean, I think um, lots of people have alluded to it already, but every team seems to have strengthened this season, so it's made the, the league a lot more um, competitive. And there's there's four or five teams all up there that would fancy themselves for having a run at you know the title, if not the top two or three. So every game's pretty difficult. Come here today against a, a tough Crawley team. We've got Yeovil next week who have had a really good start and full of, full of good players, good experience. So it is, for me, it's the best thing to, to come off the back of its feet to go into another game where we know we're going to be tested and we're going to have to be at our best to go and get a result there. And finally, obviously, you've, you've seen a lot in the game in, during your career. Uh, the National League as it stands, obviously you want to get out of it at the end of this yeah. season, but the National League as it stands, it really is strengthening, isn't it? You mentioned yeah. that players, teams are strengthened. Is that the knock-on from the WSL strengthening, or what, what, uh, how important is it as well for the National League to be a strong division? Yeah, I think it, I think you know it is a it's a knock-on effect. You get a lot of players coming in from abroad to play in the top two leagues, and and that means that some players may have to look elsewhere, maybe further down the pyramid to get regular game time. And in in that sense, it means that you're getting good quality players that are coming to play in this league. And we've seen it here today. There's players on the pitch for both teams that have played at the highest level. Um, 
and you, you get that throughout the leagues now and I think for young players especially coming into the game they can look at this level of, of football and think that's going to be a really good grounding for me to then potentially go and play higher up later on in the career whether it's with the, the team they're with or you know joining another team in the championship or above so yes yeah, um, the whole of women's football I think has grown and you're seeing that filtering down the leagues now. Well, with uh, Crawley Wasps fullback Hope Nash, ex of uh, Palace and Charlton, um, Hope, uh, absolutely brilliant result for you guys today. That's, that's a fantastic performance, a fantastic result. Yeah, I think we, um, regardless who we was playing against, we needed three points today. I think when we was playing up against such good opposition, the fact we can win just given us more and more confidence because we needed that. Because obviously Watford have made a great start to the season themselves, and they score a lot of goals. As a defensive unit, though, Crawley Wasps were, were you know, were, were pretty strong against them. I think that was our main goal this week as a back line. Having through put past us last week was um, unacceptable, and we knew that as a unit. So uh, this week we made a point to say we're not letting anyone score this week. And uh, obviously, if you don't let people score, you don't lose games. So that's our motto as a back line. And just, you know, our, our two holding midfielders. And I think everyone, really, the wingers as well, were tracking everything. The striker was pressing everything. I think the keeper was coming and punching it. And it was a, it was all a defensive unit as a whole team today, which was good. You've got great experience um, in this league, having obviously won it with Charlton Athletic as well. A um, couple of things on it. Um, first of all, Wasps came so close last season, having uh, with the coronavirus uh, interrupting the situation when you were nine points clear of Watford. But what's it going to take for Wasps to get out of the league this season? I think it's just going to take taking game by game and, like today, battling, I think grafting. That's the main thing because we all know we can, we're good footballers. We all know we can play. It's just stuff off the ball, really. You know, our work rate, our intensity training hard playing hard winning first balls winning second balls it's just little things like that that will set us apart we did so well last year we've attracted a higher caliber of player we're doing so well as a club getting a higher profile players are looking and thinking i want to go play for crawley so we've invited more competition down there's no one comfortable in their in their spot and it's good that we need that in a team if you start feeling comfortable then there's no one to push you on. There's no one to make you think, I need to play well today. And in terms of the National League and its place in, in, in the pyramid, I mean, obviously you want to get out of it as quickly as possible, but it's strengthening, isn't it, because of, of, of the strengthening that's going on above, essentially, in WSL and, and Championship. A strong National League, though, and strong teams within it, it's important for the women's game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's great quality in this league. You look at the top, top half of the table and you look at them teams and you think they could easily compete in the, in the Championship. But obviously some people like myself had to come down the league just to get game time and then go up. It's, it's just, um, it's, it happens in men's football, it happens in women's football where players drop down. Like Watford today, I think they had a couple of ex-championship players. It's good that we're having players come down, strengthen the leagues and the teams. So it's a good league, like it's competitive, it's not just one, one team walking it. So it's good, it's competitive. Well, that defeat for Watford and Oxford United 7-0 win at Hounslow means the U's are now top of the Southern Premier Division table on goal difference. Hounslow, incidentally, are bottom, having not scored a goal in their first five matches. Uh, MK Dons are in third. That's three points behind the leaders after a 5-0 win over Gillingham. Crawley Wasps sit fourth, also three points off the lead. Portsmouth hammered Plymouth 7-0, while Cardiff City, who haven't played at home yet, incidentally, with uh, 
COVID restrictions on the local area. 1-3-2 at Yeovil. It means Cardiff have won two out of two and so therefore can't be discounted from the early pace setters. In the other game, Canesham won 3-2 at Chichester and Selsey. In the Northern Premier Division, Nottingham Forest are out in front on their own this week after a 7-0 hammering of Loughborough. Uh, Fylde, who led last week on goals scored, uh, slipped to fourth after losing 3-1 at Sunderland. Derby won 5-1 at Sheffield to move second, while Huddersfield Moved third after a 4-2 win at Middlesbrough. Stoke won 3-2 at West Brom, although their win was overshadowed by a broken collarbone for Beth Roberts. Uh, get well soon to her. Uh, Burnley's game with Hull was postponed. That's after some Hull players were advised to self-isolate. Uh, they're due to host West Brom next Sunday, but we'll see what happens there. Well, just before we finish, some big news from the Lionesses camp. Mo Marley after 25 years with the England setup, um, she's leaving, she's retiring. Um, guys, a, a big loss, and what a career she's had! Absolutely remarkable career. I mean, she's just an absolute legend of the women's game, isn't she? Everybody speaks so highly of her across the game, whether that's at Everton, whether that's at clubs that she hasn't been affiliated with, whether that's with England. I know to this day, a lot of of the players and coaching staff still talk about when she um, she led the England under-19 team to the European Championship title in Belarus in 2009. And so many of those players have gone on to have absolutely remarkable careers, the likes of Jordan Nobbs, Tony Duggan, Lucy Bronze, etc. And you only have to look at... at the media reports that I guess can that, that are looking at her retirement and, and the interviews with some of the most senior players, some of the big world stars, and they all speak so highly of her and her impact on their careers. And yeah, it it's one of those where it, it's fantastic to look back and celebrate her career. But I think it's also quite sad as well that that she's obviously had to retire at this point and opted to retire and and won't be as involved in the game, albeit I'm sure she'll still be in and around in and around stadiums across the country and beyond. Yeah, and I echo everything Emily said there. I think what's um, really evident is the comments that players, as Emily says, have made about her impact. I mean, you only have to look at some of the tweets that players have left uh, in response to the to to the Lionesses tweet that went out about her retirement. Beth Mead um, called her an absolute legend done so much for the women's game in England and for myself uh, personally. Uh, I mean, it's a common theme, this. She says, oh, I, wouldn't be, uh, um, I wouldn't be the player and person I am today without your guidance. Steph Horton as well said, uh, thank you for teaching me to always work hard, be humble and strive to be better in every way. Um, Grace McCatty at Sunderland, who we had on the pod um, earlier um, in the uh, another pod, um, a, a true legend of the women's game, had the pleasure of being coached by Mo at England under-19 and under-23s. And was without doubt one of the best coaches I've worked under. And indeed, the Crawley Wasps captain, uh, uh, Naomi Cole, who played, uh, again, was coached by Mo Marley um, for in the England setup, said, um, thanks for having faith in me at a time when others didn't. Your guidance moulded me as a player. Our game benefited from your legacy as a coach and your achievements showcased that. I mean, if, you, you know, if, you, if you're somebody in, in that sort of position, you read those comments i mean from a great breadth of players you know past and present if you like um it can it must be very humbling um i dare say she would be uh, modest about uh, her achievements and say that they were as much down to to other people's input input as as, as her own but clearly a, a person so incredibly well regarded uh, by mm. all those she's uh, come into contact with mm. and i guess it'll be strange for those players and everyone you know um 
that's involved with the lioness is just not to have her presence around the place as well. You know, I know she'll definitely be missed. Um, but from all of us here on the Women's Football Podcast, Mo, we wish you a happy retirement and uh, hope you enjoy uh, some time off and um, to put your feet up. But yeah, it's, you know, it's been um, what a career she's had um, and what a servant, you know, for the women's game here in Britain. Well, that seems like a lovely place to end. That's all from us for this week. Thank you so, so much for listening. And as always, please do keep in touch with us on social media. We are at the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram and at TWFP1 on Twitter. So like I said, any comments or anything you'd like us to discuss, um, if you want a shout out on the pod, then please do get in touch. Well, Andrew and Emily, it's been fantastic having your company once again this week. And we'll be back with more analysis, more chat next week. See you then.